When we were watching that uh, video of me talking about life groups in, over at Demers, um, Elijah whispered to me, you couldn't even wear a button-up. <laughs> Tough love from, from the family, so they will keep me in line for sure. Uh, today we get to wrap up this sermon series on the Bible and race. I really do appreciate your engagement. Uh, during this entire series, I feel like our people have been really engaged with this, and so that's been cool. I've even just heard this past week reports of uh, a life group talking about the sermons and how they had good conversation around it. So um, I think if you're, if you're like me, sitting through a sermon series, uh, there's always this danger that you're going to get this information and then do absolutely nothing with it, right? You just move on to the next sermon series and you just get more information and then do nothing with it, move on to the next sermon series, get more of it, right? So that's a, that's a deadly pattern um, that can, can take place in churches. Today what I want to attempt to do is give you some ways that you can actually apply what we've covered in the sermon series. So that is the goal. Surely you would probably have some better ideas um, and, than I do, but I would like to offer uh, four things that we can do. So the first is we can learn more. We can learn more about two things, the main storyline of the Bible and the history of racism in America. We can learn about those two things more in depth. Um, the second thing we can do is we can examine our own selves. The third thing we can do is we can relate to people who are different than us racially and listen. And then the fourth thing we can do is there's a variety of ways we can take action to fight against racial injustice. So let's, let's just take each one of these in turn, starting with learn. Um, so why do I say we need to learn more about the two things that are on the screen? Well, we need to know God's story of redemption because it's this amazing love story, isn't it? Um, it's this amazing love story of God's love for all people of all races. From beginning to middle to end, that's the case, right? That's what we've learned so far in the sermon series. Um, and I think we need to see that. And also, what the main storyline of the Bible tells us is that we are desperately wicked and flawed sinful people and yet God out of sheer grace pursues us brings us out out of that darkness gives us a new heart new life new purpose a new future new family it's amazing but the more that gospel becomes real to our hearts guess what the more difficult it is to look, to feel superior to anybody else and so this storyline of redemption has to become more and more real to us. That's so critical. Because that is the greatest motivating factor, I think, to pursue justice for other people. Is that we deserved, we deserved God's justice. God stood in our place, received it on our behalf, so that we could be redeemed and freed. And he loved us in such a deep way. Surely, and it was all sheer grace, surely we can fight for other people who are actually experiencing injustice, right? The second thing is we need to learn more about the history of racism in our country. I thought I had a pretty good grasp on this. I really did. 
like by all accounts, I'm a well-educated person, right? Like I went through public, well, public education. I know it's debatable. Um, then I went to college, I went to grad school, you know, so I'm a well-educated person uh, by society standards. I thought I had a good grasp of the history of racism in our country until I read a book that I've already mentioned to you guys, The Color of Compromise, this past summer. And when I read that book, I couldn't help but think the whole time I was reading it, I never knew this. I was never taught this. And in addition to that, what I also thought is, man, if my white friends knew this history, I think they would be a lot more kind and compassionate to what is going on in our country right now. For example, the protests that turn violent, right? I've you know, heard you know, other white people just all up in arms, so upset about that. And I'm just thinking, like, if they would read just even the color of compromise, yeah, they may not agree that violent protest is right, and I wouldn't agree with that either, but I think they would be less likely to be quick to throw a stone when they've read what has endured, what, they, what the black people have endured, and still, there's so much injustice in our country. My guess is if we had endured what they had endured, their family members, and we're a young person, and we see evidence that a lot of things still haven't changed, we, I mean, I can see how somebody thinks violence is the answer, right? Not saying it's the right thing, but at least we could have a little bit more understanding and empathy for it. So I think we need to know the history, right? Um, second thing, we need to examine ourselves. That's, that's the next step that we can take to apply this, this sermon series. Um, before I mention that, though, there, there's a couple things I want to... Let me backtrack. I just saw in my notes. So how else can we learn about the history of racism in our country, right? So how can we do this practically? We can read other books. Again, Color of Compromise, there's even a right now study on that book, a right now media study that you can have access to on that book. We can um, go to uh, conferences. Just two weeks ago in Canton, there was the absurd conference, and it was at Malone College, and that conference is all about connecting, equipping, and empowering the church for discussions and action in the biblical foundations of diversity, justice, and reconciliation. They'll have it again this coming year. I believe it's a yearly thing. I had a ticket to go this last time. My schedule didn't cooperate, and I'm really hoping to go next year. Anybody wants to come with me, we can go as a group. Um, you can go to museums. Mary and I, we were in Atlanta with the Hewitts, Blaine. We went to the, um, the Civil Rights Museum. What a powerful experience to walk through those halls, halls and to learn more of the story of the civil rights movements. And so there are plenty of things we can do. Uh, J Jamar Tisby, he recommends that you diversify your social media feed by following racial and ethnic minorities and those with different political outlooks than yours. I think Kevin made the point uh, some weeks ago that when we look for news and information, we look for people that agree with us to affirm what we already think. Um, he also recommends that we access web websites and podcasts created by racial and ethnic minorities. Um, Mary's been listening to a podcast um, and they've been interviewing 
people that you know fit that racial minority um, uh, description. And Mary's been telling me, you know, multiple things over the weeks and months of, man, this was so good and that was so good, and we can do that, right? All right, let's go to examine. Examine ourselves. I think that's the next step. And so, um, I, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Do we have a tendency to assume things about people because of the color of their skin? Do we have a tendency to do this? Do we size people up based on their skin color? When we see a black person, do we automatically assume that they're a thug or uneducated or dumb or lazy, like rap music, good at basketball? Are, are these the things we just naturally assume because we've been culturally conditioned to? While we're at it, I think it's good for us to examine, do we look down our noses at other groups of people, whether it's the homeless, whether it's homosexuals, whether it's Muslims, whether it's atheists, whether it's the wealthy or the poor, or the Democrats or Republicans, the educated, the uneducated. Are there any other people groups that we just are, we have this tendency and this habit of, so we need to examine ourselves and we don't go scuba diving alone. I don't know where I read that, but it's good advice. Um, we do it with God, right? Because part of like godly repentance is like there's joy in it. Even though you see your ugliness, you see God's amazing grace for that ugliness. And so it's a transformative healing process, godly repentance is. And so, um, and you also, I would encourage you not to just do it with God, but to do it with a trusted friend. Help, they can help unearth kind of your the things in your heart that may not be that pleasing to the Lord. The third thing we can do is we can relate to people that are different than us, and we can listen. As powerful as knowing that main storyline of the Bible is, because it tells us of God's great, amazing grace for us, and as important as it is to know the history of racism in our country, because I do think those things will motivate us to fight against racial injustice, I don't know if they're enough. Actually, I think until we know of a person that we're close to that has been negatively affected by racism, chances are we're really not going to be moved to action. I just think that's reality. Um, the, and, and right there, therein lies the problem, doesn't it? Therein lies the problem. A public religion research institute study revealed that in a 100 friends scenario, white people had just one black friend. One Latinx, I have not heard that term, but I think we know what it means, and then one Asian friend. I don't even know if in this area um, all white people can even say they have a black friend. Not even one. Not just an acquaintance, like an actual friend. You know, I've been told from a few people that that interview that I did with Lee McBride and his wife was really important to the sermon series. Here's why I believe it was so important. It put flesh and bones on to the issue. 
We could sit here and we could look in the faces of brothers and sisters in Christ that have endured racism. I think this issue of racial injustice is a little bit like COVID, where you don't really think COVID's a problem until, of course, you get it, or somebody you love is really negatively impacted by it, right? Then it becomes a problem. Until we have friends that are enduring the injustice of racism, we're probably not going to be moved to action. And so we need to develop friendships with people who are different than us if we don't have them. How do we do that? Practically, how do we do that? Well, you've go, you got to be in places where there are people that are different than you. That could mean shopping at different places. That could mean getting your coffee at different coffee places than you normally do. That could mean taking up hobbies that are going to put you in contact with people who look differently than you. That may mean volunteering at places that are going to allow that to happen. There's plenty of ways to make that happen. And then when we do have the friendships, we need to be great listeners and we need to ask good questions. What was their experience you know, with racism? What has that been like? What has it been like living as a minority um, in this community? And then we just need to laugh and have fun together. Remember when I asked Lee's wife, hey, what do you think? Well, I asked them both, but what her response was when I asked, you know, what do you think is a way forward for the church? What did she say? We just need to be together and spend time together. We just need to fellowship together. She even said, what did she say? I love that. She's like, you know, she's getting older. And she said, look, when I have to use the bathroom now, I got to use the bathroom. And I worry about my grandkids and my kids. And she's like, and the reason she said that is like, look, us women, we're all really deeply the same. Right? I, th- I agree with her. And this is what I think. I think that what we don't know, we have a tendency to fear. I just think it's true. And I don't know if that's like just like this protective thing that we have adopted or whatever. Uh, what we don't understand, we have a tendency to fear. But being in a relationship can dismantle um, the not knowing, which can dismantle the fears, right? The fourth thing that we can do is to take action. And uh, this is really cool. Actually, um, I'm in a leadership training thing that just started this past week. And I'm in there with a whole bunch of different leaders from a whole bunch of domains of culture, and it's not just church people. And the leader of all that was actually at the last service. He came, and um, Al D'Angelo, he was a longtime pastor at River Tree Main Campus and at Northwest. Um, But he taught us this past week the five circles of influence that we have. And so what I want to do is just mention those to you and tell you what can we do about racial injustice in those spheres. So the first sphere is self. That's the first fear that we have influence over, right? We are constantly having a conversation with ourselves every minute of every day. And that's why we have the most influence over ourselves, right? And what we can do in terms of racial injustice is we can commit to not entertaining any negative thoughts about a person based on skin color. We can refuse to entertain any thoughts that will lead us to feel superior to anybody else. Refuse them. I mean, they're going to fire in. 
they will fire in. We don't have control often of the thoughts that just fire in our brain. We have all kinds of thoughts. We have control over how we respond to them, though, and whether we cultivate those thoughts. Right? Uh, next sphere of influence is family. We can commit to teaching our children, for those of us that have children or grandchildren, the importance of every individual. The inherent dignity and value and worth that every individual everywhere has because they're made in the image of God. We can also commit to teaching them the evils of racism. With extended family members and, 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 and uh, friends, uh, um, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins, we can commit to speaking up against any racist comments, jokes, sayings that we hear. This happened uh, just in my family here a couple weeks ago. We were watching the finals game, and one of my family members, um, not my mom or dad or, you know, but one of my family members, we were watching the game and it was just bemoaning the fact uh, that Black Lives Matter was written on the, the basketball court. And I love, my brother, he's a peacemaker. He's a number nine on the Enneagram, doesn't like conflict, quiet, sweet, tender man. And he's the one that had the, the courage to speak up. And in that moment, I thought, doggone it. I am teaching on this stuff. And I didn't have the courage that he just had. This is what he said, loved it, in a quiet, gentle, but firm voice. I love seeing that on the court. That's all he said. But guess what? If we have enough people that are willing to be courageous in that way, we will end up having a culture and a community that this stuff has a more difficult time of existing in. New members class, I have it after church. Guess what I tell people about gossip in that class? You've got to squash it anytime you hear it, and you've got to have the courage to speak up against it. And if enough people do that in our church, guess what? We're going to have a culture in this church where gossip isn't allowed to live. You've got to have enough people that have the, the courage to do it. All right, uh, team and organization. So most of you work. You maybe work with the team or and work for an employer. Uh, I think you can put organization up there too on the screen because to me, these are the same as kind of the family thing where you speak up against any kind of racist slurs, jokes. You know, you have the courage to speak against that and you really do make sure that everybody on your team in your organization is treated um, with equal value. You can commit to being that person in those spheres of influence. The final sphere of influence, and then I'll, I will wrap it up by taking communion, is community. Uh, the, disparities, the, the disparities between black and white people, they've been well documented, well researched. Take, for example, the wealth gap, right? Today, the average black household has 60% of the income as the average white household. And black people only have one-tenth of the household wealth. How about the incarceration of black people? In 2006, one in 106 white men were behind bars compared to one in 14 black men. Black men ages 20 to 35, you know, the age where uh, men are raising families. Well, one in nine black 
uh, males ages 20 to 35 are incarcerated. Overall, whites and black Americans, they use drugs at the same rate, but the imprisonment of black Americans on drug charges is six times those of whites. On the New Jersey Turnpike, black, blacks make up 15% of all drivers, but 42% of stops by police and 73% of all arrests are black people. Among all drivers stops, guess who's two times more likely to be carrying drugs? White people. A white boy in America, this is probably the saddest statistic for me. And they're all sad. A white boy in America today has a 1 in 23 chance of going to prison in their lifetime. A black boy in America has a 1 in 4 chance of going to prison. So sad. Now, this may be the most important thing I say today. If you are conservative-leaning in your politics you are more likely to say the reason for these disparities is due to the sin of individual hearts. And so what we need to do is we just need to preach the gospel so that hearts can be changed and then hopefully then one day society will be changed. If you're conservative leaning in your politics and you're a Christian. If you're liberal leaning in your politics and you're a Christian, you're most likely to attribute those disparities to the unjust social systems that are perpetuating the disparities. And there's always, there's been an argument going on like back and forth on these things for probably too long to count. The Bible and God sees these disparities in a way more nuanced and sophisticated way. Here's what, the, what God teaches through his word. It's both of them, and both need to be addressed. Because here's the reality. You can, sure, preach the gospel and win individual souls to Jesus, which, of course, the Bible affirms. Um, but guess what? As you know, individual hearts come to Jesus, that doesn't mean the whole society systems aren't still going on. Right? On the other side, if you just deal with the systems, the unjust, the unjust systems in uh, society, um, and hearts aren't getting reached by the gospel and by Jesus, guess what? Even if you clean those systems up, it's not going to be long before those are just in disarray again. Both need to happen. We need to make disciples of Jesus, and we also need to fight against the systems of injustice in our communities. This is the most important thing I can say to you today. How do we do it practically? Well, I'm hoping at some point to return to this idea of disciple making. And plus, I feel like we've talked a lot about that in the years uh, leading up to this. Um, and so I'm not going to address that. I will address how do we fight systems of injustice in our community. Let me just share a couple of those things with you. Uh, one of the things that we can do is we can um, vote. We can vote for governmental government officials that 
really deeply value racial justice and have a track record of actually doing something about it. At the local level and at the national levels, right? Election season. We can give money to support organizations that work for racial justice. We can give money to these organizations. What's more is we can volunteer with these organizations. Uh, and we can create things. We can create blogs. We can create podcasts. We can create um, poems, music, arts that speak against racial injustice. We can teach a Sunday school class, right? We can uh, host a forum. There's so many things we can do. Um, we're going to conclude our time today. So what, what was that? Well, let me just briefly summarize. First thing is we can learn. Second thing we can do, learn. We can relate, right? And listen. Uh, third thing, I think the second thing was examine ourselves. Third thing, relate and listen. Fourth is we can take action, right? Uh, we're going to take communion now, and we're going to remember what Jesus did to break down that wall of hostility, right? That Jesus, through tremendous sacrifice, uh, worked to reconcile us to God, but not only God, to each other. Let's, let's remember his amazing act of love for us.